I'm Judy Swallow. This is The Connection, and welcome to the land of English language Oz. Deep inside the Emerald City, the word wizards are pacing, debating, hooing and hawing over which words to include and how to use them. Meanwhile, back on the Yellow Brick Road, we trip like scarecrows through the pitfalls of language, misplacing modifiers, splitting infinitives, not even knowing that we've broken a rule. And yet, the war over usage rages on. One side, writer David Foster Wallace calls the snoots, those persnickety people who insist that English must follow the divine guidance of the authorities. The other side says the language is simply the sum of its speakers. If we said it, book it. As reams of dictionaries roll off the presses, it's time to report from the front lines of the usage wars. Our identity hangs in the balance. Connection listeners, who should decide the fate of the English language? Who's your usage guru? Are you a language snoot yourself? The number is 1-800-423-8255. That's 1-800-423-TALK. I'm joined from a studio in Normal, yes, that is Normal, Illinois, by writer David Foster Wallace, and on the line from Dallas, Texas, by Brian Garner, author of A Dictionary of Modern American Usage, a review of which is the basis of David Foster Wallace's article in this month's Harper's Magazine. Thank you, both of you, for joining us, and I understand the two of you have never met. No, we haven't. This is our first time to speak. That's Brian. Uh, David, welcome to the program. David, um, in your article in Harper's, you identify yourself as a snoot. I think we should establish early on what exactly is a snoot. Oh, there are a lot of there are a lot of different terms for for people like this, the language police or uh, or usage warriors. My own family had a joke, and most most snoots inherit their snootitude genetically. Snoot in my family, if you if you are a snoot, stands for Sprachgefühl, necessitates our ongoing tendence, and if you think. Snootishness is silly. It stands for syntax nudniks of our time. This <laughs> both, is, this both is, of which roll off the tongue so easily, don't they? <laughs> well, it's it's not my gag. It's my parents. So. And and you said that uh, little boys who ask snoots tend to get wedgied. Now that that's you know two people separated by a common language. I didn't have a clue what you were talking about about wedgied. Ah, uh, uh, that's actually a regional term. It's also sometimes known as a snuggie that involves pulling a little boy's underwear up. Tight enough so that it's uncomfortable. Aren't those boys lovely? We'll, okay. we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Brian Garner, we'll, we'll forget the wedgies, and it's probably just as well we're all miles and miles apart. But Brian, tell me, are you a, are you a snoot? Well, I think by the definition I am, but it uh, I, I don't think I'm a snooty snoot. That is, I, I try to be a down-to-earth snoot. Now, it, this is interesting because Wallace, D- David, did use uh, snoot and snootitude apparently for the first time in print in Harper's is going to be interesting to see whether it enters the Oxford English Dictionary and whether it catches on. But I think I am a snoot, but uh, like most grammarians, people who write about grammar and usage, I try to be very down-to-earth and guide people to sensible choices. Uh, Some people think that those who care about the language are necessarily prigs and pedants and pedagogues, and uh, I don't believe that. It's never been true, really, of the leading grammarians in the 20th century, and there's no reason why it should be to sigh deeply every time I make a syntactical mistake, but let, let's get the ground rules. David, what is your real pet peeve when it comes to language? What Can you absolutely not abide hearing? Well, 
I, I'm crazy about neither impact as a verb nor proactive. But but let, let, let me just say that Mr. Garner, as, as he is in his dictionary, is being kind of disingenuously modest here. <laughs> he His dictionary manages to avoid priggishness and pedantry in a way that, that I would argue a, a good deal of, of published snootitude in the 20th century hasn't. And it's one reason why uh, pretty much the, the thrust of the whole essay is that is that his dictionary more or less rescues the PR image of snootitude and makes it far less, uh, uh, what's the word, snooty and, and unattractive than, uh, you know, the, the image of the bespectacled, bow-tied, uh, sour-mouthed grammarian. Um, it's, it's really... It's really quite a piece of work. Well, indeed, Brian Garner, we must make clear your your book is not about it's not a dictionary. It's not just you know a selection of words. It's actually how you use the language. But let's get this this real this argument: prescriptive versus descriptive debate. Just just define the lines of that battle. Well, the um, I think most people are prescriptive in their expectations, probably more so in years gone by than today i mean david makes the point in uh, in his essay that the descriptivists have made a lot of headway essentially there are people who believe that there are better and worse uses of language that there is such a thing as a misuse of a word there are also on the other hand some extreme um, linguists um, descriptivists who believe that if a native speaker of english says it or writes it it cannot be a mistake um, by that very fact that a native speaker of English said it. And, of course, um, I think most people understand that native speakers of English make mistakes all the time. Even um, professional professional writers do. There are so many little pitfalls in the language that uh, uh, people do need guidance, and better writers seek guidance, and that's what prescriptive uh, grammar is all about. And just to follow up on your point, Judy, I mean, I think most people, when they say they want a grammar book, they don't know what they're asking for. They're not really wanting a book called English Grammar or American Grammar. What they want is this little-known genre called a dictionary of usage. It's not an ordinary defining dictionary. It's simply an alphabetical listing and discussion of the problem points in the language. A lot of it is word choice, and a lot of it is grammar. 800-423-8255. 800-423-TALK if you'd like to join in the um, usage debate, watch your P's and Q's. Uh, David Foster Wallace, are there rights and wrongs in English? I mean, I tuned into telly last night. Uh, sorry, probably don't use telly here, uh, the word telly, but to, to see how long it took me to hear a mistake. And it took about 30 seconds before I heard he takes things a little too personal. Now, I mean, is that definitely wrong? Well, it's using personal as an adjective where in its place in the sentence it ought to be an adverb. But here's here's the weirdness is that, of course, language is kind of an organic thing. Uh, and it changes and it grows. And anybody who's, for instance, read Shakespeare, which is supposedly modern English, knows that English now is very different than it used to be. The way in which language changes and grows is via errors. And so you get this very weird situation where uh, it may be that a hundred years from now, personal as an adverb like that will be entirely acceptable, the way many acceptable usages now started out as egregious errors. So, so what, what 
snoots versus descriptivists are fighting over are very often what Mr. Garner in his dictionary calls skunked terms, which are terms that enter as vogue usage or quote-unquote errors according to the rules of the dialect of standard written English that simply kind of the way the Volstead Act became untenable as more and more people just despite whatever the rules are begin using this it's sort of by a kind of weird plebiscite becomes okay and then dictionaries and usage dictionaries come along and finally codify it so it's a very strange and politically charged situation technically right and wrong are they're either not appropriate terms to use or they're highly time specific Let's take a really contentious debate. Let me let me quote the American Heritage Dictionary Introduction, uh, written by these sort of law lords of language. I gather, says tells us that the panel's view is more conservative today than in the past. In 1969, 44% accepted hopefully as a word. Today, that's gone down to 27%. So hopefully, is, is really no. Absolutely dreadful. David Foster Wallace, why? That's just ridiculous. Hope, hope, hope. <laughs> well, I they mean, say so. It's there in my dictionary. You know, here's the weird thing, is that the, 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 the appearance of elitism about this thing is really a function of the fact that these guys who write the intros aren't very good writers. The, the fact is... <laughs> Ooh, the fact, you're, no, you're on no, the no, panel, no, though, no. aren't you? Uh, yeah, but I don't write the intros. The, the thing about it is the people the people who make these decisions and, and wrangle about this stuff are the people who really care, and most people don't, as with most specialties. Hopefully, in my opinion, has been an okay sentence adverb. Mr. Garner's got a terrific entry on it. It's, it's a somewhat skunked term, meaning really, really conservative people educated before 1960 are still going to get a little bit of a of a sneery look about it but i would say 99% of people uh including educated people who are fluent in the dialect of standard written english are going to have no problem with it so this but, is all just one big disagreement. But Ryan Garner, I mean, who decides what goes into a dictionary? Who decides what goes into a book of American usage? Who decides what is right? Well, in a sense, we all decide what is right. Um, it's not democratic. Nobody's well, going no, around no, on no. the street listening to how people talk and then say, oh, that's, that's a cool Ultimate, word. Ultimately, usage does decide certain errors. What begin as errors, as, as Mr. Wallace has described them, become uh, canonized. They become, for example... Uh, British speakers still still say self-depreciating, but 99.9% of American speakers say self-deprecating, and American writers as well. So that's one that uh, even though it is uh, an error that really didn't catch on widely until, say, the second half of the, of the 20th century, that I have said that's a, that's a word that we must accept. I'm not quite willing to say that hopefully is yet admissible in the best written American English, but I think it is inevitable that it's going to become um, standard written English. It is uh, very, very close. Uh, David Foster Wallace, standard written English, SWE, as it's called in your, throughout your article, you do make the point it's one of many dialects. Yeah, I, I mean, and... It's, it's something else to which Mr. Garner is sensitive in his dictionary in a way that other dictionaries haven't. Over and over again, for instance, about hopefully, his advice is very sensible. He'll say, you know, really, it, when you're writing, the best policy is if it doesn't cost you anything, avoid offending anybody. Um, and so, go, you know, you'll go ahead and don't use it. 
The, the fact of the matter is, is that um, just as you say telly and, and I say television, the, you know, I'm going to leave the studio and walk out on the street in a rural Midwestern state where the, the, kind, of, the kind of verbal intercourse I have with people is going to be very different from the dialect I am affecting now, which is sort of standard English or standard written English, which is meant to communicate things like my education and congeniality to the interests and values of your audience and all this kind of stuff. And one, one of the things that, that, at least in my research, is into the usage wars that's interesting is that very, very little of the debate countenances the fact that really standard written English is only one dialect and that when people get all upset about having rules imposed on them, they, they, they're not keeping in mind that these are, these are pretty much rules for just, for just one dialect, although it's a very important one. It's sort of professional or, or, uh, or, or public English. So when you, when you go out on the street, you'll stop having verbal intercourse and you'll start rapping with the guys, will you? Well, I could tell the minute I said that that, that was, <laughs> I was setting myself up for some sort of... No, but it's just the, the weird thing for me in, in, in working on the article, and it's something that Mr. Garner's dictionary made me realize, is that I, I and everybody else I know am making these dialectal, dialectal adjustments all the time, but below the level of awareness, and that... For instance, the thing about the, about the wedgies is there are nerdy little kids who don't have more than one dialect and can speak only the sort of English that their teachers love, and it, it, uh, it costs them heavily in the social and, and playground realms. No, I'm not surprised. Between, between you, after the break, <laughs> Mr. Garner, between you and I, we're rapping about lingo at this moment in time, English as she's talked. Join in on 800-423-8255, 800-423-TALK. There's a usage war conversation going on right now on our website. To join in, go to theconnection.org. I'm Judy Swallow. This is The Connection on NPR. Auto in Madrid, online at museumshop.com. I'm Judy Swallow. This is the Word Usage Wars Connection. I'm talking with writer David Foster Wallace and Word Usage Guru Brian Garner. And here's another authority, President George W. Bush, on the campaign trail last fall. I don't think we need to be subliminal about the differences between our views on prescription drugs. That's where the debate ought to be. Okay, David Foster Wallace, how long before subliminal makes it into a dictionary? Uh, grown. <laughs> no, here's the weird thing. Like you guys have the have the funny it hurts so good bumper music, but that you know the weird thing is that's the perfect lyric for that song because he's he's singing in a particular kind of down home dialect. The same way George Thorogood's song would be hideous if it were Whom Do You Love. What what Bush is doing is trying to sound impressive and use big words and making a mistake, which is. That that is the habit that, for me at least personally, most kind of makes me dig my nails into my palms. Eight hundred four, sorry, eight hundred four two three eight talk. If you'd like to join the word usage connection, but David Foster Wallace, okay, that was a slip up, that was a mistake. But we judge people by how articulate they are, don't we? Are we right to do so? Equating being articulate using grammar correctly with intelligence. Well. I'd be interested to know what Mr. Garner thinks about this, but I, but I think uh, it, when you're talking about standard English or standard written English, there are 
Um, uh, there's a whole lot of self-presentation going on um, in terms of one's education, in terms of one's sensitivity to, you know, quote-unquote, the rules. Uh, and so in terms of things like business, politics, academia, um, I, think, I think we do judge each other. The weird thing is that on the street, we judge each other just as much in terms of using slang and argot correctly. Uh, it's just we never make that itself the object of discourse. What gets what what is the object of discourse is the standard written English stuff. I don't I don't think it's all that different in in many other forms of dialect though. Brian Garner, let's go to you. Uh, is there is there a sort of middle way compassionate prescriptivism? <laughs> well, I uh, l let me follow up on that point. I think it's inevitable that we judge people by how they use language and, and it happens in every culture it's not just the United States and I think if anything we do less of it in the United States than the British traditionally do where there's a big tradition of upper class versus non upper class speech and 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 regional dialects it is po possible to speak American English uh, educated have people not know where you come from Although I think I probably have a tinge of a of a Texas accent. Oh, just a tad, to, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I try not to be. Um, you know, it's not something I consciously try to eliminate. But essentially, there are three three reasons for really caring about the way you use language, the way we all use language. Uh, and I think the first is credibility. How much credibility are you going to have with speakers or listeners? If you want to uh, persuade people, then you need to to learn the standard dialect whatever the language the second is clear thinking a good language promotes uh, better thinking and it, in a sense we're talking about the mental tone of the community I happen to believe it matters if people say in lieu of um, when they mean in light of or in view of I mean that's a silly mistake and yet it is uh, spreading I happen to believe it's important that reckless driving begin with an R and yet there are close to a thousand published instances now in which people are writing about reckless driving beginning with a WR and that's a I think it's it's not too much to say that is a silly mistake and we should pounce on we should we should drive it out of existence one more heart rendering instead of heart rending to rend is to tear and the traditional phrases is, is heart rending but for people to say heart rendering and for this to begin appearing in places like the San Francisco Examiner and the Albany New York newspaper I think that uh, uh, it's it's troublesome for the language because uh, we're no longer making distinctions that uh, that literate people used to. And finally, linguistic continuity. So credibility, clear thinking, and linguistic continuity. Just continuity with the past so that we can read previous generations. There you go, the full argument. Um, Mr. Connor, I think you've come out of the closet as a full-blown snoot. But anyway, let's go to the calls. 800-423-8255. 800-423-TALK. Linda joins us. Linda, hello. Hello. Uh, thank you so much, all, for taking my call. This is my favorite subject. I was trained 30 years ago in descriptive linguistic. Linguistic. I beg your pardon? I'm very, very sorry. Yes. <laughs> uh, Don't let them bully you, Linda. You stand I up against them. I am halfway them. between. I, there are things that I have seen change in front of our very ears over, in recent years, and one of them is my, uh, my husband and I have been laughing for 11 years about what I call self-abuse. That is the use of the self-form um, 
which was used to be an intensive or ref reflexive, and all of a sudden it is replacing um, simple pronouns. Give us an example. Um, well, Bob and myself were going to the store. Yes, and, and I and I turn that also teacher English teacher abuse um, that people became terrified of saying Bob and me, which. Uh, is, you know, dialectal and hard to change. And they became terrified of it as they became more and more educated, and they replaced it with myself. And now it's just myself, not, not just myself. Lind Linda, am I reading it that you are a descriptive linguistic who has become a prescriptive snoot? Um, when I see it also bleeding into other things, I don't know if it's a snoot, um, because in other places I've learned to shrug my shoulders. I can't help it. I've accepted it. I don't use it, but I've accepted the verb to impact. Ooh. I accept it. Um, I don't use it, but okay, Fight it's on, there. I beg your pardon? <laughs> Fight on, ma'am. Fight on. Well, I won't tell them they're wrong, but I won't use it. Um, and uh, then there's a place, well, anyway, self-abuse, which is my term, and maybe it'll catch on. <laughs> it, well, it bothered me a little bit because uh, I thought you and your husband were wrangling about masturbation. The self-abuse is an old euphemism for masturbation. I, but I think it's a, it's a good pun. Well, thank you for that, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned at least one thing today. <laughs> this is a highbrow program. Could you, you keep it clean? Sorry about that. Okay. Uh, Brian, what, what, uh, Linda, thanks very much for your, for your point. Brian, you know, you gave us that catalog of do's and don'ts and reasons why. How did you get so obsessed with this? Uh, well, David Foster Wallace has said that he thinks that uh, snootitude is somewhat genetic, and I, in my case, it uh, it certainly seems to be. My grandfather was interested in language. My my father certainly was, and the way my dad tells it, it seemed to be magnified in me about a hundred times. Um, I I think I I certainly grew up in a in a family where the kids were being corrected in the way we use language. I'm, I'm sure I grew up saying, me and Brad are going to go play golf. And my dad must have corrected me um, a thousand times on that. And, and in a way, I think that is a developmental thing, uh, phenomenon in American English, that at least in this part of the country, in Texas, um, kids tend to say, me and John are going to do something. And by the time you grow into adulthood, adulthood you grow out of it. At least one, one hopes that that you grow out of it. Well, but, but, or you, lo you get fluent in more than one dialect is what yeah, happens. Yeah. But, uh, David Foster Wallace, aren't a lot of these rules arbitrary? You make the point yourself that this rule about a split infinitive arises from Latin where you couldn't split the infinitive. Sure, except, you know, it's hard to think of m many social or sociological rules or customs that aren't under that definition arbitrary. The fact remains that at a given point in political and linguistic history, we we form impressions of one another based on an enormous number of semi-conscious things, and one of one of them, uh, um, uh, which Mr. Garner describes as quote credibility, um, has to do with how fluent you are, um, it, at least in this sort of venue or a professional venue, in the in the rules of things like standard written English. Um, of course, Bush's. Uh, if you want to say he was elected, Bush, Bush's election uh, seems to cast doubt on that whole thing because here was a guy who, you know, 
beyond mangled, uh, made a circus sort of of educated English and made precisely the most annoying kinds of errors, which were errors of, you know, using the big word when the small word would do in order to try to sound impressive, but getting the big word wrong. But, but maybe no, that was nevertheless, maybe nobody that was cared. Maybe that was genetic as well, because his dad was um, the master of mangled syntax, but nobody argued George Bush wasn't right. Uh, it's that 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 is actually true. Um, there are certainly a whole lot of other criteria by which one can can advance. Um, I think that was and, partly by, because his vice president was Dan Quayle, and by comparison, <laughs> he looked wonderful. Okay, let, let's we'll we'll put this argument aside. <laughs> <laughs> Politics yeah, for another day. Eight hundred four two eight hundred four two three eight two five five eight hundred four two three. Talk. Jerry's calling from Lexington, South Carolina. Jerry, I think you want to have a poke at the media. Go ahead. Oh yes, uh, Mr. Wallace, I read your article. It was fabulous, and. Uh, 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 Mr. Garner, I can't wait to get a hold of your volume. I, I just got to order it from somebody and uh, get the thing and, and look at it. I've got the uh, I've got another usage. But Mr. Wallace, I wonder if you and Mr. Garner agree with me that that, that the thing that sets my uh, teeth on edge are are the errors by the media folks who ought to know better. Uh, I was telling your your producer, one of your interviewers. When we watch a turn-on-TV program, a pulp TV program, Law and Order, something like that, we have a lawyer who presumably was educated at Harvard or Yale or Columbia who says, who called, uh, is this done correct, and so on and so forth. I don't care if the cops say those things, but for God's sakes, to have the lawyers say them, just, you know, these writers all have degrees. Are you actually Why talking that you object? I mean, I can see that maybe you'd object on a news program, but you actually object on sort yes, of I, yes, I on do. dramas? Yes I, do. yes, I do. Because the lawyer, you know, the guy in Law and Order graduated from Harvard or Yale or Columbia or Michigan. He should not make those obvious grammatical errors. It just, it just uh, seems... Sir, that, we have that, some very bad news for you. I know. <laughs> oh. More than one. I, you know... You don't mind that. I, well, I, you know, I know more than one. And you said something Harvard. similar in your article. It's similar to that in your article, I think. So, so lawyers should talk proper, but uh, it's all right if doctors um, don't. Now, but Judy, I have to say, but you, now you just uh, repeated this thing about, uh, of course, you did it tongue in cheek. Lawyers must talk proper instead of <laughs> properly. But when we say this kind of thing on a national radio show, and <gasps> and uh, thousands or millions of listeners hear it, that's how a lot of these little changes take place in the language. I know you were doing it tongue-in-cheek, of course. But, but, but I mean, course, is there a special, are lawyers a special case, Brian Garner? I know you've got a vested interest here. Yeah, well, I spend a lot of time with lawyers, and I, I, I train lawyers. I, I don't believe that lawyers keep nearly the standards that uh, our caller is, is suggesting. No, they are the worst perpetrators of gobbledygook in the world, as far as I've, I've got. And no. may I, just to be even-handed on our on our political parties, our Rhodes Scholar president, the previous president, uh, did say on more than one occasion, uh, I would have certainly appreciate a, a vote for Al Gore and I, as opposed to me. I mean, but he and he was Oxford educated. So whether you went to Yale or Harvard, that in itself is not enough to ensure that you're going to be um, fluent and, uh, and grammatical. It really does take a good deal of study um, of, of words and grammar, and uh, only those who who want to go through life conscious of the way they use language will undertake this study. I think, as, as David Foster Wallace suggested a moment ago, most people go through life never really having examined their language or their use of language. 
David Foster Wallace. You, we, guys we, 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 me, you guys can call me Dave. That's a lot of syllables to have to say over and over again. <laughs> the Foster is just a, a nom de plume. <laughs> okay, Dave. Harvey uh, <laughs> who are the worst offenders? Is it the lawyers? I mean, who who really wreck the language? You know, what's I get the uneasy feeling that I'm becoming more and more the descriptive of this, the descriptivist voice in this. But the, the reason I think why why we get really upset about the media and television is that the modes of linguistic dissemination are different now than they were 50 years ago. And it's one reason I think why Mr. Garner, who I must say is far snootier uh, out loud than he is in his masterful dictionary, um, <laughs> um, he and I need to exchange letters about this, uh, uh, is that an error now, a, a brief slip made by, you know, uh, a news announcer under tremendous time, pre you know, Ms. Swallow, you know the number of different things you have to keep in your head while you're talking very calmly and stuff. Uh, speaking very calmly, the th the thing is, it can now it it is now disseminated to a million or two million people, and so errors cause these rapid kind of street level changes in language much more quickly than street level changes used to happen, and it grates it grates on the ears of those of us who are conservative. That is, we have cathected the kind of standard. Uh, rules for usage and grammar that we grew up with. So I don't think it's an accident that the gentleman is upset about the media, but I, but I but I don't think I, I I think it's to be expected. Now, Jerry, thanks for that point. But isn't there a point, David, that um, the media has changed language of necessity in a way that has not been taken on board because it's no longer just the written word. People are speaking. On the radio, and therefore you can't sort of go back and reread the previous sentence. The sentences do get mangled for understanding. Sure, but th that's not the thing that bothers me. The thing that bothers me, particularly about radio, is that it erases dialectal and regional differences. There is a um, it, when when someone is from another country, such as you, uh, you, we can tell where you're from. But there is this kind of bland media accent that one can hear. You know, I mean, I spent the summer near El Paso. You can hear it there. You can hear it all the way from there. You know, to Presque Isle, Maine, and there's a kind of flattening out of of some of the dialectal and accent differences that, for me, make English really, really delightful. And I don't like the way the media vacuums that stuff out. But I'm sure the economics are sound. Well, we have it in England as well. It's called RP or received pronunciation. Mm. But, but um, isn't that part of being a group? There's sort of a herd instinct. You gear what you, the way you talk to be included. Well, you're segueing, you're you're segueing into the article. Um, yeah, in a certain way. The the weird thing is that uh, in areas like politics or the media. Uh, you know that that's not some sort of unconscious social impulse on the part of the media people. That is a result of demographic and economic studies that that show that dialectal differences somehow alienate listeners. And so you know um, the, the the stuff that's language changes that are driven by corporate and economic imperatives bother me more than language changes that are driven by you know dialectal or educational differences Brian, Ga Brian Garner as it's been pointed out that I'm a foreigner I'd just like to ask you what about US versus the Brits is the US the driving force now in the world well linguistically it is mostly a, a product of of political power but uh, the shift uh, Probably occurred mostly in the second half of the of the twentieth century. Uh, one of the one of your members of the House of Lords, Lord Conesford, back in 1957, wrote an article 
in the Saturday Evening Post called "You Murder You You, you Americans Are Murdering the Language," and uh, British writers have complained about Americanisms like bamboozle and gate crashing and words like highbrow and rubbernecking. And get go, of, get go was on telly last night. Yeah, well, a lot of the most colorful developments in the English language are occurring in the United States. Uh, I care about uh, standard American English and write some about what's happening comparatively in British English. But, we'll pick uh, that up after the break, Mr. Yeah. Guy. Is bad grammar something up with which you will not put? Numbers to ring 800-423-8255, 800-423-TALK. I'm Judy Swallow. This is The Connection. Boston's NPR News Station. I'm Judy Swallow. This is The Connection. You can judge a man by the way he talks. Does the stickler, the snoot, deserve being savagely wedgied? Living English or a collection of rules? Is language a strict science or a work in progress? Numbers to ring 800-423-8255, 800-423-TALK. My guests today are writer and professor David Wallace and author of a modern a dictionary of modern American usage, Brian Garner. And we're also joined now by Ilan Stavans, associate professor of Spanish at Amherst. College, currently compiling a Spanglish dictionary. Ilan Stavings, where do you fit into this debate between descriptivists and prescriptivists? I probably would say in, on uh, muddy waters. I, I, <laughs> I been, guess so. I've been following the discussion, and which I find very interesting. Uh, I did not grow up in or into the English language, and so I don't really feel territorial about it. Uh, I grew up with three other languages, Spanish, Hebrew, and Yiddish, and I came to English late in life. And in some way, I am trying to create something out of that uh, new arrival of mine. Um, there are about 35 to 40 million Latinos in the United States, which means it's about the total population of Spain and about 25 times the population of El Salvador. Well, well, no one will question that, but I mean, why try to scrunch the two languages together? I mean, you use the phrase here, tiempo is money. I mean, isn't that bastardized jargon? It's, it, is a, it is bastardized, and what the dictionary tries to do is to reflect, to be descriptive and in no way prescriptive, of the kind of language that we Latinos are generating anew in this territory and to show also that Spanglish this um, connection or this bridge between the English and the Spanish or the Anglo-Saxon and the Hispanic cultures or civilizations has been around for over 150 years and, there, and so there have been words of Spanglish that have been in use say in Miami in the 1920s like the word taifa for thief that have gone out of use and have been replaced by others and there's, there has been a lot of debate about this dictionary already, even before it has reached the print. I bet. I bet both sides hate you, right? The Spanish <laughs> purists sure. and the English purists. In, in, in Spain, there is uh, an institution, federally funded, the Royal Academy of the Spanish Language, that produces a prescriptive dictionary and establishes which words are accepted or rejected, uh, and has been very uncomfortable with the usage of Spanglish in the United States and with the way it is pushing certain words out of that royal 
dictionary, federally funded, I should say again, um, and is, is being um, perceived, this, this Spanglish uh, arrival, as some sort of barbaric or barbarian approach Ta to the language altogether. Tell me, do you think you're going to win, though? I mean, do you think that Spanglish is unstoppable? Because they're fighting on all fronts against the invasion of English. We've got Franglais, and um, the Germans are doing the same, the Poles are doing the same. They're all trying to keep English out of their language. Or Do you think you're, you're on the winning side here? Well, I think uh, it's all about numbers, Judy. And in the end, um, it is not only that there are 40 million, but that those 40 million have an entrance to power through the Internet and through television shows and radio stations. There are more Spanish-language radio stations in the state of California than in all of Central America together. And most of them have shows such as yours, where people call in and use the word soquete for sock rather than calcetin. And eventually that word, I am convinced, will replace the word calcetin in any serious Spanish-language dictionary. Ilan Stevens, thank you very, very much for joining us. So let's hear from David Wallace. David, David Wallace, uh, what do you think about what you've just heard? I mean, he, he's making the point it is a living language. It's changing all the time, and it's up to the sort of the writers of the tomes to adjust to what's happening on the street. Well, the thing is you can't talk about all tomes as equivalent. What what this guy's doing is a is a dialectal compendium, which I've got no problem with. And if you've got 40 million Latinos blending English and Spanish, that's an important dialect that ought to be studied more or less descriptively. If he's got in this dictionary certain Spanglish usages which he labels non-standard or incorrect or whatever, then he's then he's in a somewhat different territory. But I you know, I'm, I'm one of these people who loves to read Sayfire's column in the Times and loves these different books like Joys of Yiddish and, oh, God, you know, the, there's tons of them that talk about some of the rich, cool, dialectal stuff going on in English. And, I, you know, I, if, if Spanish, you know, were my main language, maybe I'd have issues with it. I, th I think it's, it's kind of delightful. 800-423-8255, 800-423-TALK to join the usage connection. What does Mr. Garner think, though? Can we, can we find out what Mr. G thinks about In, in just a second. Let's hear from right. Molly first. Molly, hello. What, what would you like to say? Oh, this is a great program. But, but you want to correct somebody. Uh, I bet yeah. it's me. Well, no, I think you're very brave to talk about this. <laughs> I was going to keep No, quiet. I heard somebody, and I don't know who it was, say different than. And it should be different from. Yes, uh... If you compare two things, one's got to be up and one's got to be down, and then you use then. But if something is simply different, it's different from the way it used to be. Thank well, you. Let me, I'll come to David uh, Wallace's defense here. Um, he, oh, I, it was him. That was my. <laughs> or even it, it was he. Sorry. Actually, Sorry. <laughs> uh, actually, David, you've done it twice on this show. <gasps> uh, but Clearly, I've been infected by my native dialect. <laughs> I, I believe that um, in both instances, the... Different from would have been very awkward and, and difficult to uh, to get out of your mouth. And awkward is in the eye of the ear of the beholder. Well, you end up having to say if you say differently than uh, he did it differently than I did. You end up having to say differently from how. That's true. And that becomes when, a little more awkward. I so, think it sounds better. Uh, do you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, language. I'm, is, I'm with Mr. G on this one. I think. Yeah, language is going to change. That's the descriptivists are absolutely right, but we can slow it down. Molly, thank you. Can. Thank and the you. other thing is that um, when you're speaking, we have to give people a lot more latitude. Uh, we can't uh, all become so self-conscious that we can't speak or write at all and sort of freeze up in our use of language. So uh, we, we do need to be relaxed, but not, uh, not lax. 
Molly, thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, David, you'll have to keep a check on every every mistake Brian makes from here on in. So get, 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 get your notebook ready. And uh, Brian, your start of a ten. Uh, David wanted to hear what you thought about the idea of Spanglish. So, Carrie, give us your answer, and we'll take notes about whether you make any mistakes. Well, good. <laughs> it strikes me that Professor Stavins is doing important work, and uh, I think it's excellent to have a Spanglish dictionary. Uh, it is a kind of dialect, and descriptive lexicographers do a very important um, job in recording how the language is actually used. Then there is this this entirely different medium, the dictionary of usage, which uh, draws draws lines about what is and is not the best usage. The, as uh, Jonathan Swift said, style is the the best words in the best places, uh, or something like that. And um, so that's a totally different question. But I, I think that I agree with uh, David Foster Wallace that the joys of Yiddish and all, all these under, wonderful dialectal dictionaries, um, if we didn't have them, we'd be impoverished. I, I thought you actually started to sound a bit self-conscious there, Brian, worried that, that we were all starting to take I notes about the way you were talking. 800 <laughs> 800-423-8255, 800-423-TALK. Artie would like to say something. Artie, hello. Hi. Um, I have two things. I'm not a usage buff, but I think it's valuable to know some canon of standard English uh, if only so you can understand when you're bending or breaking the rules, because you can use that to expand your expressive palate. Bingo. And uh, my other thing is that um, I'd like to point out that using linguistic habits to measure another's credibility happens in slang, um, in vernacular too, um, and so does the bending and breaking. Uh, people bring back old words like fresh, which was really popular with old school rappers and then sort of went away for a while and then somebody started using it and it was like, wow, that's really, that's really cool. And cool was, uh, it comes in and out of favor as well, doesn't it, Artie? I think actually cool's more or less been here to, and probably here to stay. I don't know what people think of that. But. You said here, here, David. Uh, or the American equivalent. Yeah, no, I just... <laughs> I, I my my personal opinion is that the more dialects we know the yeah the um the metaphor's terrific the 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 more varied <laughs> okay now i'm really terrified of making yeah we're all gonna, we're all going to become completely tongue tied <laughs> we're all going to turn into george bush here um uh, the 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 thing the the thing of of it is though is is that when we're talking about things like rules or what is the best usage, we're talking about a very large, important dialect, which is the standard English that, that in my personal opinion, all right, I may fudge different than when I speak out loud and I'm nervous in a little booth. Can but you when say I got, fudge different then? <laughs> it's all, it had tone quotes around it. Tone quotes, uh, it was, right. It was a linguistic <laughs> unit of I got itself. picked up for uh, talk proper, yeah, carry on. No, but it's weird. I mean, when I when I rail at my students about this, I'm railing about this stuff in writing, in which I, I would argue that one's uh, sort of intellectual and linguistic credibility, to use Mr. Garner's term, is 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 far more important. And so even though it's upsetting when people, particularly in public English, mangle the language, I do think there's there's a bit of a distinction uh, between between spoken and written. This is, this, is, this is me trying to defend myself against that lady's... Well, that's exactly right, though. Uh, written English has to be more heightened and polished. But what we shouldn't do is... And, uh, of course, David Foster Wallace's article is a great example of not 
uh, adopting the, the the tone that so many American writers do of being hyper formal and and extremely stilted and and pedantic. I mean, he, he's he's not that way, in as far as I can tell, anything that he's written. And the best writers are not. They uh, they have a more uh, relaxed style. Eight hundred four two three eight two five five eight hundred four two three. Talk if you dare, Sarah from Louisville, Kentucky. Watching your P's and Q's, Sarah. What point would you like to make? Thank you. It's a wonderful topic. I am just delighted to listen. Um, my mother taught me to use. She was an English teacher. Taught me to use the possessive with the gerund, such as to say, "I appreciate his." Discussing, discussing the topic instead of I appreciate him discussing the topic. Mm. Well, I've been worrying about that since I was 16. <laughs> well, actually, I hear so many people say um, the wrong way that I think. I mean, I, I hear people say I appreciate him doing so-and-so instead of his doing so-and-so. There's a scary name for that. It's called a fused participle when you don't use the possessive form. And... Uh, in in the most polished writing, people typically we will use the possessive. Although, in my entry on fused participles in the in the dictionary, I give some examples where it would be awkward to uh, to put the possessive. So it is, it is allowed under certain circumstances. That's right. Sarah, thanks for your call. Keep in mind too that under the rules of certain dialects, uh, some forms of Black English, by the way, the fused participle is perfectly okay. That was just my little insert. <laughs> uh, Sarah, thank you very much for your call. Um, Mr. Garner, you talk about changing rules. I think I was taught it had to be a possessive with a gerund quite a few years ago. How quickly are rules changed? Well, they change gradually and, and often imperceptibly, um, but they, they do have to be updated. Sometimes so-called rules are just misinformation. I'll give you a good example. Probably in the popular mind, the, the most harmful superstition in the language is the idea that you cannot begin a sentence with and or but. In fact, um, throughout the 20th century, there are some studies to back this up. But close to 9% of the sentences in first-rate writers begin with, with conjunctions, especially and or but. You can't look at a single page of, of Harper's or the Atlantic Monthly or the New Republic uh, without finding two or three and often five on the single page. And this is something professional writers routinely do. Um, so that's an example of a, a non-rule that uh, somehow has a grip on the popular mind and it causes people not to write quite so well when they avoid it. David Wallace, can I ask you finally, do you want your students to be snoots? That's a really good question. No, to be a snoot is a lonely, stressful way to be. Um, it's, you know, having a big red button, which is pushed all the time. And to be honest, I would prefer to be less snooty than I am. I do want them, when they, when they write or when it's appropriate in things like job interviews or professional <clears throat> verbal intercourse, uh, I do want them to be able to speak uh, gorgeous, concise, standard English so as to communicate the kind of credibility and education that 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 communicates and I you know I will tell you uh, I'm getting no kickbacks or anything Mr. Garner's Dictionary of Modern American Usage is as far as I can see far and away the best guide to, to, to how to speak and write this dialect in not just a correct but but pretty way 
There you are. Fine, final word of advice from David Foster Wallace. Thanks very much indeed for being my guest today, writer, professor, and amateur snoot, amateur snoot, and to our professional snoot, Brian Garner, author of A Dictionary of Modern American Usage. Thanks too to Ilan Staffans, associate professor of Spanish at Amherst College. Connection listeners, you can continue the usage wars at theconnection.org. I'm Judy Swallow. This is The Connection. Can't the English teach their children how to speak? This verbal class distinction by now should be antique. If you spoke as she does, sir, instead of the way...